good morning. Hello. Good afternoon. We're back. Yeah. We're back. I'm going to take the blame for having such a big uh, a big break in between. We did oh. our first half of our first season. I was on a cruise ship, got stuck out there, kind of threw our mojo off, and then it took us a while to get back in, but here we are. Yeah. We're in the Jay Hansen Studios here in Midtown Omaha, <laughs> and this is Looking Through the Glass Onion. I don't know why I have to put that sound effect in there. I love it every time. Though. I'm going to, I'm going to, I have an English degree. I thought I should just throw that out nice. from, from right down the street at UNO. And uh, <clears throat> I'm going to discuss a word. I thought it would be important before we go. Wow. Okay. Super far into this. I love it. A malapropism. Oh, yes. Okay? Yes. A malapropism is the use of an incorrect word in place of a word with a similar sound resulting in a nonsensical, sometimes humorous utterance. An example is a statement by baseball player Yogi Berra. Texas has a lot of electrical votes rather than electoral votes. So we're talking about malpropisms. In the Beatles, there are a bunch of those. You have totally. Eight days a week. Yeah. That's a malpropism. Uh, Tomorrow Never Knows. Tomorrow Never Knows. And of course, the most famous one, which is the song we're discussing today, A Hard Day's Night. Love this song. Indeed. It's a great one. So this is a, something that Ringo says, said. John heard it. It appears twice. It appears in his book, mm-hmm. Hard Day. Uh, I can't think of the name of John's book right off the top of my head right now because he had two. It's not a Spaniard. Is a Spaniard in the works? Uh, in his own right? In his own right. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, it appears in there in a, in a poem, but this is something that that was overheard and told to Dick Lester, who was producing or directing A Hard Day's Night, the film. It didn't have a title. They right. thought it was initially going to be, well, they didn't know. Right. They didn't know what they were going to call this. Beatlemania was, an, was a name. Okay. Um, but they hear this, and Dick Lester says to John, Hard Day's Night's going to be the title for this movie. And, uh, and we have this brilliant little piece here. It's amazing. So let's, uh, let's talk about the charting of it. It's okay. a hugely successful song. It's a number one hit. In the UK for three weeks. For two weeks, it's the number one in the US. Nice. Uh, nice. Released as a single in the UK. Okay. The flip side being one of my favorite songs, Things We Said Today. Oh, okay. In the US, it's part of the record and released as a single off the record. This, is, uh, this makes history. It's the first time that a song was number one in the UK and the US at the same time. Oh, okay. Hugely successful okay. song. Okay. But let's get to the writing, which is cool. Yeah, yeah. What do you know about the writing? Uh, what do you got for me? He like cranked it out in one night. It's insane. Yeah. They're in the car. Dick Lester says we're going to call the movie a hard day's night. John, not wanting Paul to know. Oh, okay. Because I didn't Paul know had that. written Can't Buy Me Love, and John loved that song, evidently. He was like, oh, that's going to be the title. That's what I think that's kind of what he thought. He cranks off this bluesy little great rock and roll oh, song, which it would have been a great name for the movie. Dick Lester tells John it's going to be a hard day's night. He goes home that night, writes it. They come in the studio the next day, record it in 24 hours. Yeah, yeah. Paul says that he helped with the middle eight. That's right. In the writing, I have it 98% John. Yeah. John says he is 100%. Paul says, I probably helped in the middle eight. <laughs> he probably did. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, also interesting in the writing of it, um, John was, an, this is a John song through and through, mm-hmm. even if Paul helped with when I'm yeah, home. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Gave the bridge to Paul because he knew he could sing it better. Right. Which is a big deal, I think, for John. Let's talk about the... For me, um, when you look at this song, as I'm sipping my coffee here, it's really good. Jay makes the best coffee, by the way. (laughs) Um, 
this is uh, the height probably of John Lennon's Beatle career, I think, this kind of period, this early period. He's yeah. writing most of the songs on this record. Talk about that a little bit, if you, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's definitely... Paul hasn't quite come into his own as the fantastic... I mean, he's written some great songs, but yeah. yeah, John's so prolific during this period. It's crazy to think of the songs that he wrote. He wrote Hard Day's Night, I Should Have Known Better, he, If I Fell. Yeah. I mean, he's just cranking them out at this point. This is this is the only LP LP LP. Uh, all, uh, that's British <laughs> album. Here. All Lennon and McCartney songs, correct? Yeah, the only one. Yeah, no the, covers. The, the George song they write is uh, "Happy Just to Dance, Dance with, with You." you. They write that for him, and for Ring, Ringo does. Uh, well, I can't think of it off the top of my head. We'll figure that out yeah. here. Yeah. Um, recording facts. Well, this is a one day shot. This is April 16, nineteen sixty four. Right. Right. I just, I'm blown away that they do it in 24 hours. This it, iconic of a song. Yeah. I think they, I think Lennon said at some point it took him like 20 minutes to show, show the group the song. <laughs> I think there were nine takes, five of which were complete. They yeah. went with the ninth take. Um, George was struggling with the solo, so we'll get to that. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, one of the interesting facts. Oh, uh, there's, yeah, there's some great little, little ditties about the, um, the things they added in, but yeah. Um, also good instrumentation on this song. I'm still trying to, Oh, Ringo doesn't have a song. Ringo doesn't have a song on a hard day's night. Oddly enough, as I'm looking at it on the, the UK release, I guess this boy is Ringo's theme, but that's, uh, yeah, crazy. It's the, also the only record where Ringo doesn't sing a song. Wow. Help us out. Info at billymcguigan.com. Yeah. Uh, so we've got John on acoustic. Is he doing electric on one take and acoustic on another take? There's some, there's some, that's, that comes up in points where he played his, his 325 Rickenbacker on the, on the initial, cause, and the, and the, the rhythm track, drums, bass, guitars all went to one track on the four track tape. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's some people that think that there's, electric on that first take or first track and then he adds the acoustic later that, all i, think I that very well could be that, it could be yeah. all i hear is that is the 12 string when i right when i hear it and then the acoustic so i'm not sure about that but um george on the rick 12 mm. not mm. the first one that he recorded with but probably probably the most iconic though i would think i mean if you're talking about greatest Rock and roll twelve string songs of all time. This has to be top three. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're inventing a sound. The yeah, birds, the birds basically took this sound and ran with it. Totally, totally. Um, <laughs> Paul, of course, on his Hoffman. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Ringo yeah. on uh, Ringo which, on which his second Ludwig downbeat Black Oyster Pearl kit. See, we gave Ringo love on this one. <laughs> <laughs> with the third drop T um, drumhead. Drop T Beatles logo, mm. according to Wikipedia. Uh, John, of course, on the J160 for the acoustic. Yeah, yeah. Very important part of that song. And we'll talk about it as we talk about live performance. But that acoustic part in that song is super important. We we did a recording of this, trying to record it exactly as they did. Mm-hmm. And learning that acoustic part was so cool. I mean, the 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 just the rhythm that he's putting in there really is a driving beat. And something that 
some people might miss are the bongos. The in, bongos in are hugely important. And I did see a discretion in this. One, one reference that I looked at said that Norman Smith, the engineer, played the bongos. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have, have you heard that as well? That's, I'm, you think that's who did it? I think that's who did it. Interesting. Yeah. With sticks or hands? Ooh, I don't know that. Yeah. Yeah. They're so driving. It's such a driving part of the song. It is. And it's, uh, yeah. And, and when we recorded it, I, I felt like there's something about the way he plays it that is hard to capture. Yeah. And, but it's so important to the driving of that song. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think it is Norman Smith. He, he, he lays claim to it. He says, yeah. you know, um, he, uh, Ringo tried playing him, couldn't, couldn't make it work. Uh, Jeff Emmerich was the tape op at that point. So rest in peace, by the way. Yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> so Norman Smith came down, knocked it out while Jeff Emmerich was recording. That's, I think Norman Smith said that's the only time he played on a Beatles record Got was, was wow. doing the bongos for that. Well, well done, sir. Yeah. It's, it's so cool. Yeah. It's so cool. We also have George Martin on piano. Yes. Which is, uh, I think that's also a missing ingredient sometimes that people don't hear. That piano part is quite important, not only to the opening chord, also in the in the solo. Indeed. Itself. Uh, it, we'll, we'll get to that, of course, but it really adds a lot. George Martin, I mean, again, he's still, the, he's still in charge at this point. The Beatles have oh, not yeah. taken over. Yeah. Um, I just watched with my son, we just watched Eight Days a Week this weekend, the documentary. Nice. And I mean, it's great to, to see how important George was before they kind of took the reins over, kind of rubber soul, revolvery. He became, yeah, yeah. they became equals at least at that point. But here, he's still the driving force. The opening chord, the right? opening as chord. we move into cultural re- relevance, I think that's probably the most important part of this song. Yeah. <laughs> Culturally, it's just, you don't even realize how... This opening chord, uh, which we'll get to the theory behind it, it, for me, you have the Beatles prior to A Hard Day's Night, right? So they, uh-huh. they do Please Please Me with the Beatles. Very bubblegum-based yeah. group. I love you. You love me. From me to you. Please please me. I love her. Thank you, girl. This song kind of kicks off a middle part of their career. Mm-hmm. Um, and that chord is kind of the punch in the face, like preparing people for it. I just, I think it's, is this George Martin's idea? Do you know in the, in the gist of things? He, you know, he, he's quoted several times saying, you know, we, we needed, we knew it was going to kick off the movie. We knew it was going to kick off the, the song, yeah. um, the album. So we, we wanted something that made a huge statement. And so they're, you know, they, they were after something. I, he used the word strident, that strident yeah. chord. And, and it is. And I mean, this is some next level genius stuff here. Again, I think that it kind of takes them from, again, bubblegum group, kind of a boy band. And you put this, what, what is the chord? If you're like, Great question. Yeah, we don't even exactly know. <laughs> we could tell you how to play it. We'd have to show you on our fingers. What what do you play? Okay, well I pl- I play like an F six with a G in the bass. Right? So is that is that yeah? Give us a second here. Right? So it's you're, it's an F it's an F figure with the you're playing the 
You're playing the pinky on the, so pinky. that's an F9 with so a G like, in the bass. Okay, nice. Trying nice. to keep, try again. <clears throat> and I play it upstroked. Oh, okay. Don't know okay. if that helps, but just, and what are you playing I, as I hand to you? So I play what's, I had to look this up this morning. It's an F6 add nine. Okay. Um, right. It's an F in the bass, and this is on the 12 string. Open, open, open. A C on the second string. Oh, wow. And a G on the third string, or the first string. Got it. Again, sounds real open. Played against what I was playing. They smash together. And the yeah. piano, I'm not exactly sure what the piano is playing in there. That's a George Martin jazz chord that has to bring it all together. Yeah. It's, and so there's isolations out there on the internet where you can listen to. Yeah. And, and there's definitely, I almost think John Lennon is doing this. Oh, like he's it. just playing open strings. Because in the isolation, it's the acoustic guitar and the piano married together. And so it's, it's very hard to distinguish what's being played. But they're hugely important to that chord because right. they make this sort of just cacophony yeah. mayhem. I think I might <laughs> have just played the way I'm playing that chord, just <laughs> strum it open. Um, at least, yeah. yeah. So anyway, um, there are people that say that it's just that it's all the piano that makes the oh. the chord, and that it's just a, a G nine. Oh, got it. Um, which would make sense because that's what George ends on. Right. But I, I don't, I, I think there was definitely a thought process yeah. to that. And it's not just the piano. I think it's, I think the piano. It's a marriage of everything together. Is there an effect on there? Is Because in the anthology you hear pretty early on the, I'll put your, like a tremolo in there. Or? Uh, they, they added um, what's called Steed, and I don't remember what Steed stands for, um, but it was, a, it was an Abbey Road delay into the chamber or something. So it was, it. You, hear it on, you hear it on George's voice and uh, everybody wants to be my baby. But they added that initially, but they took it away by the time they, they mixed it down for the... Uh, um, for the album release, but, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That chord is, it's really some cool stuff. It's so cool. Hugely debated. Um, Randy Bachman from Bachman Turner Overdrive has this whole thing about <laughs> it. And I don't, I still, he's like, I, I listened to it. I was in the studio. I still don't know that he knows exactly. I, it's still not perfect. No. Like even Paul opens with it now. So on this most recent tour, he's been opening with a hard day's night. Oh, cool. And as I hear it, I'm like, it's close. Yeah. Like he's got to know he was there and it's still, but it, again, it's just, I think it's that perfect marriage of all those guys at that time. Just kind of. Yeah. This is what we'll do. And George Martin, of course, that, that's got to be a George Martin thing. There's no doubt in my mind that that's his brainchild. I agree. Yeah. Playing a chord on a piano going, okay, gents, this is where we end. <laughs> They're like, yeah, the scooch, you know, yeah, we'll do that. Uh. <laughs> yeah, it's so cool. It's so it's great. Cool. And as we talk about playing it live, just yeah, good luck. That's a yeah. that's a good part. Yeah. How we, about some? How about some interest? Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, we get it. We get it close. I think we get the way as close we get, as we can. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's evolved. I play it differently than I used to. You yeah. know, I think I used to do like a G a G sus G four sus, right against your F add nine, which the G that actually works too. But I think. The F six add nine. I had to write that down. I, I don't. I don't remember. Yeah, chords that's what with I'm numbers. playing. The F six add nine. 
I don't like chords with numbers. <laughs> when I was growing up, a quick digression. <laughs> so my dad could play, he could play like 10 chords. Nice. Right. Nice. So if we were in the Beatle book and there was a song that was an E flat or something, he'd go, ah, just play it in E. Nobody cares. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right on. If there was a number there or a, <laughs> any letter after the original chord, we wouldn't play it. So I never understood why, like things we said today, I was like, hmm, that's not right. <laughs> just you say you will love me. Oh, a minor. I get it, dad. See, dad, he'd like small ah. M. Yeah. Oh, weird. Oh, well, that doesn't mean major. <laughs> All right, that's one of my favorite parts of, of uh, this podcast, the interesting facts. Okay. Um, I, I gave you the, the 24 hours thing. Why don't, why don't you break, break g- give me one. What do you got? You got anything? Um, Norman Smith on the bongos. I think yep. that's huge. Um, the wind-up piano, we kind of talked about that. It's a yep. George Martin technique. He did it on Misery probably most famously on In My Life, yep. where he slows the tape down to half speed, which correspondingly is an octave lower than what it would play like. Yeah. Um, also did it on Rocky Raccoon, and You Never uh, Give I, Me Your Money. I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. So it's called the wind-up piano. That's, that's what oh my God, I Beatle love that. people have uh, named it af- after all these years. But uh, yeah, so that's super cool. But Yeah, my, my mouth is agape right now. I have no <laughs> idea about you never giving me money. It's got to yeah, be on the Attica, lose money. Totally, yep, yep, starts right there. <sighs> See, we're all learning something, you guys. <laughs> and it's really effective in this song, obviously. Yeah. Boom, 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 boom. Did George play it at half speed to it? George Harrison? They both played they it at played half it speed. Together. And and because the the 12 string by itself sounds really thin without that piano underneath yeah. it during that solo. It it makes it makes that part work. Oh yeah. It's so cool. Again, headphones listen to that and you can hear kind of that, oh, it's like, oh, it makes sense. Cause the it's perfect what George is playing. And yeah, yeah. Good luck. Yeah. Um, never played it right <laughs> in 10 years. Never nailed that solo. I'll, 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 I'll put that out there right Not now. Not easy to do. Not easy to do. All right. So I read this, uh, I have the songfacts.com. They have some interesting things. It says that John Lennon wrote the song, which contains long repeating notes that are uncommon in pop music. It's one of the first times you hear somebody, it's been a hard day's night. Oh yeah. Okay. Right? Okay. So it's not, it makes it not easy to sing by the way. Oh yeah. Cause you're, because you're holding out these these vowels longer than you typically would. Yeah. What John thought was bluesy is actually like an ancient Gaelic thing that people love that kind of stupid stuff. R- there. Nice. Yeah. 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 It's in a mixolytic key, an old key, which was abandoned in the beginning of the 17th century, but is maintained in English and Irish folk music. He had no idea. No way. See, pretty cool. Um, they truly were sponges. They were sponges. A hundred. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, Phil Collins was in the movie. Yeah, that's uh, right. We'll talk a little bit about the movie because the movie is a great. This is such a great movie. I it really is. dig it. It is. Uh, Phil Collins in the movie is one of the little kids. Yeah, they see. Um, let's see. This is the last song in the movie soundtrack to be composed. So again, they didn't have the title. They give the title, and it's a great opening sequence. So if you've heard the song but never seen the opening sequence to the movie. <sighs> One of the funniest Beatle things of all time. John, George, and Ringo are running from fans in the beginning of the movie. 
George falls. Oh man, he face plants. He face plants, <laughs> pops right up, laughing, and John is hysterical. He's laughing so hard. That of course was an accident they kept in the film. Oh my god. I don't, he it, went down. Hard. Is, I'm surprised he didn't get up with oh face my rash. Because yeah. he goes down and he's being chased by 50 screaming beetle maniacs. Oh so God. that's my favorite part of the whole movie. <laughs> it's so great. In fact, when I was 15 or 16 and saw this movie the first time, I probably stopped it there <laughs> and watched that part a hundred times. <laughs> yeah, it's so great. So great. <laughs> so again, John, John wrote this one. Um, and I, I thought it was interesting, again, that he gave the middle part to Paul because a year earlier, he, he sang the high part on From Me to You and claimed that he sang better higher. Than Paul, oh. so in a year he changes his opinion. Okay. Um, Maureen Cleave, who is the famous journalist, who is a friend of John's, who the more popular than Jesus. Okay. Uh, she claims she helped John write a couple of lines in the song. Oh, okay. These are the stupid facts that okay. I know. Okay. Based on the internet. Nice. Mm-hmm. So back to it. Let's talk about playing it live. Yeah. This is a, this is a great song to play live. It it's it's. It's one of my favorites that we play um, because it makes me think of Columbus, Georgia, actually. Does it? Yes. The Springer Opera House. The Springer Opera House because I feel like that's where... That's where this song for me took off. We discovered a lot about it there. Yeah, yeah. Um, This song makes me think of Leon, Aaron, and Max. Yeah. (laughs) So those are <laughs> in Columbus. So again, we we tour all over playing yeah, playing yeah. the show. Just quick back. You've listened to the other ones. If you haven't, welcome. Welcome. <laughs> yeah, we have tens of listeners, you guys. <laughs> tens and tens of them. Um, we're doing this show in Columbus, Georgia. So my brothers and I grew up in Columbus at Fort Benning, and we were lucky enough to be asked by Paul Pierce to go back and, and play shows there. And people went nuts for the show. It was crazy. And we had a, a guy that was, he was our piano player at the time, Leon. Yeah. yeah. And he was like, I'd, I'd love to help. I, can, I, can I play the cowbell in the song? And I'm like, yeah. And we had a grand piano there. And he said, can I stand on the piano? I'm like, Leon, do whatever you want. And he, it just skyrocketed. People it, went, he played the cowbell part, the when I'm home. And it went nuts. And then Aaron Slagle, who was uh, my guitar tech for many years, took that over. And escalated it, and now yeah. Max uh, has shot it up even more. Max so. Max brings his own twist to it. <laughs> playing fantastic. that cowbell part, you can really make something special out of that when you're playing this live. <laughs> but there are challenges in playing the song live. So, um, first of all, it's hard to sing. It's it, it, yeah. John's double tracked on this, correct? He is. So that helps that hard. Days, night, yeah. and I've been working like a, I mean, if people want to say working, yeah, dog, yeah, yeah. you can't, it's got to be, you got to enunciate like John, you have to sing it like John, mm-hmm. and you should probably double track somebody. If you leave that acoustic part out of there, it's going to sound wrong, yeah. Uh, the bongos are also the bongos are, they are, we, we, and we've, we missed that part, yeah. and we're adding it in now, yeah, um, that's exciting. That'll you got to cool. have a 12 string, and you got to have, have a, a piano. String. And you got to try to play it at album tempo because when you don't, which we don't, there's no shot of playing. I, like I said, I, I, I get about a 78 is probably as good as I get on that solo. So I, That's all right, though. It's fun to play. The chords are easy. 
Uh, but the rhythm is, is tricky. The solo is tricky. The opening chord is tricky. The end is tricky. There's a lot of pitfalls in the song, if you will. So I'm going to give it a, a not expert level, but just shy of expert level. Yeah, it, it's you? it's expert level for me. For you, oh, yeah, on the the 12 string, no yeah. doubt. Yeah. So good luck with it. It's got to play with energy. Yeah, um, yeah, energy is huge yeah, in this one. People will respond to it. They always do. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. All right. You ready? Yeah. I want to rate three things. Okay. Okay. Because this is a this is kind of a unique song for us. It's a it's an album. Mm-hmm. It's a movie, and it's a song. So let's rate the album. How many glass onions would you give the album itself? So I'll I'll read you the track list. Yeah, I can't think of what's all okay. what all is on there. So we open with a hard day's night. Great one. I should have known better. If I fell, I'm happy just to dance with you. And I love her. Tell me why. Can't buy me love anytime at all. I'll cry instead. Things we said today. When I get home, you can't do that. I'll be back. For any other group, that's, this is the greatest album they've ever made. It's, yeah. It, I mean, how many, how many of those songs are some of your favorites? I mean, tell me why. Such a good one. And I love her. Maybe Paul's... And I Top love five love songs. I should have known better. It's always been one of my favorites. It's an iconic scene in the movie. Yeah. I'm going to rate it five glass onions. It's, it's just a great one. I, I can't go lower than that. I can't either. Just yeah, with that, some... that firepower on there. If I fell, John and Paul at like harmony best. Yeah. If I fell is great. Mm. All right. Movie. <laughs> How'd you rate the movie? The movie's... It's four and a half. I mean, it's their best movie. I, I, I agree. Yeah. I agree. There's so many funny parts, great characters. Yeah, and you get such a great sense of all of their personalities, you know? Which if you don't, if, again, I think, I think it's cool that they, they hired a screenwriter who was from Liverpool, so he understood. Okay. They understood, he understood what Liverpool people, how they talked, and he went out on the road with the Beatles for like a week. Two really? Weeks. Okay. And he listened to how they talked and what he noticed, and they'd never capitalized on up until this point, because it was just the Beatles as a unit before right. this. Right. The Beatles are great. The Beatles are this. The Beatles are coming. He saw that they were all kind of individuals. He saw that John was kind of the intellect. Paul was the cute one. Uh, Ringo was Ringo, and George was the quiet one. And he nails it. He, it's so cool how they're, he, they're that's funny. Awesome. They're, oh. George steals this movie for me. There's a oh, scene where the guys, we like to turn the telly down and say rotten things about, you know, that part. You can be replaced, you know? <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> I, I, that was the line I said easily into college. Somebody would say something and I'd be like, I don't care. <laughs> so it's a five star movie for me. You're going four and a half. I'm going four and a half. Yeah. 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 It's a good one. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about the song itself. So many great things about it. Yeah. You know? Um, it's, it's, it's a very iconic song of theirs. It is. And, and, and it's one of those where, like, since they both sing on it, yeah. Paul and John, it, to me, it's one of those quintessential Beatles songs because yeah. it's, you know, we can work it out where they both have their yeah. own sections. I, day in the life. Right. It, I've got a feeling. That's for me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's so to me, it's it's one of, you know, if if you have to introduce someone to the Beatles, it's this is one where you start with for me. It's a five star for me. God, that's a great point. Yeah. 
All right, I'm gonna go five as well. Yeah, I, I came in un, un, undecided I, on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. It's not necessarily my favorite Beatles song. No, no. I like to play it live. I love it's, to play it live. It's one of the most fun we do live. And that point that you just made, if you were turning somebody on to the Beatles, this is probably one of the first songs you play. Maybe the first song because it starts with that chord. It starts with the chord. It has George Martin's influence with the solo, yeah. the half speed. John and Paul singing, doing their thing, and really. With the 12 string. The 12 string that George, yeah, it, it's. We got five star. We got five glass stars. We have five glass onions on this. So give this one a listen again if you haven't heard it in a while. There's a lot of, um, a lot of magic on this song. I think that's a good way to. Yeah. There's a lot of magic in Abbey Road. Uh, number two. Is it number two? It was in yeah. two, yeah. What, the day they got together and did this song. So we're, we're both going five glass onions on this. Watch the movie. Listen to the record. Uh, before we end today, we, we have fan mail. No way. I know. Uh, you can send. <laughs> we've done five of these. This is number six, Hard Day's Night. Um, if, if you have any questions for us or want to comment on anything we've said, I, I know that you guys have been sending Facebook messages to me. That works as well. Or if you have my number like this person had. Send me a, that, but info at billymcguigan.com. We're happy to answer any of your questions. So I'm going to pose this to you. This All is right. my friend Jason in New York. He says, why is that whole damn B-side of Abbey Road so good? I mean, polythene to, to bathroom window. It's some serious adrenaline. Your damn podcast got me back on the Beatles hard. Oh, nice. Thank you, Jason. Hey, thank you, J-Row. I appreciate that. Why the hell is that so good? Oh, uh, that... I mean, that's speaking of introducing someone to the Beatles. I think you have to. I know it's 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 maybe without John in a lot of ways that second side of yeah. Abbey Road. Second side. I still think of it as an album, but yeah, I do too. Starting with "Here Comes the Sun Out." Yeah. Or even because yeah yeah it. Whereas "Hard Day's Night," you've got John's creative peak. Maybe not peak. He, he definitely has some brilliant things that come after that. But at this point, he's writing like 80% of those songs on a hard day's night. Peak prolifically, I think. Yeah. As far as his quantity his of output. Yeah. Because he slows, he's, after Sgt. Pepper, he slows down dramatically and starts regurgitating some things. Yeah. Uh, songs that he wrote, and he, you know, at that period, he still tries to, anyway. But you got Paul at his like... Peak probably isn't the right word. He is just on fire by the time Abbey Road comes along. Yeah. And John has these fragments and Paul has these fragments. And somehow George Martin takes these fragments and puts them together as kind of their last gasp of brilliance. Yeah. Because it ends after that. I don't know. I don't know, Jason. I, it's ma That's magic there, too. Oh. Um, Something was in the air that summer. Um. Golden Slumbers and the end, and to end their record with end in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. Damn. That's kind of their putting their flag on the moon. Yeah. That also happened that same summer. Oh, nice. It's them kind of just saying, hey, we're the greatest. Sorry if you don't like it. We're more than a pop group. Yeah. We're I more mean, than our wigs. We're more than our, not wigs, you know what I mean? We're yeah. more than our haircuts and Sgt. Pepper outfits. So listen to that too. This is uh, looking through the glass onion. This is a hard day's night. Yeah, episode six for us. 
So Indeed. we'll be back again. We're going to our busy time. So hopefully we'll get together again sometime. Totally. We can do this. This is good. Thank you, my friends. Be well. Sayonara. Good night.